Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well this morning as the kids head back to Kids Church with Michelle, um, I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and go to the book of Lamentations. And that is where we are going to begin this Advent, Christmas season, is in the book of Lamentations. Now, I'm willing to bet that there, aren't, there probably are not many people here who have spent uh, considerable time in the book of Lamentations. It's not, not a real joyful book, right, as, as the name might suggest. When, when, you, when the title of the book is, has lament in it, that, that means it's going to be uh, on the sadder side uh, and yet, right in the middle of that is a great passage of hope that we're going to look at this morning. So we begin the, this Advent season, which begins officially the, the, the start of Christmas. And each Sunday morning during this time, we're going to light the Advent candle. And, and as we do, we'll see the, the wreath over here become filled with light, signifying the hope of the gospel. Now, now, the word Advent simply means coming, and so the, the season of Advent then is a time of preparation and, and a time of waiting for the coming of the Christ child. It's a time to wrestle with the reality of the brokenness of our world that leads us to the need for a Savior. And as I uh, read in a, in a reading plan this morning, a uh, great quote by, by Pastor John Piper where he simply says, Christmas is an indictment before it becomes a blessing because it is a declaration that we are broken in need of a Savior. And so we need to feel the weight of that in order for Christmas to become a blessing. So this morning as we, as we turn our attention to hope, I've asked uh, Nathan and Corbin Lightfoot to come and to light our candle this morning. And so as they come to, to light this first purple candle, the, the hope candle, I'm going to invite you to stand as we read our passage for the morning, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. The word of the Lord says this, remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and have become depressed. Yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this great passage. A message of hope in the midst of hopelessness. And as we begin this Advent season today, I pray that we would feel the weight of hopelessness that, that your people felt as they awaited the coming of the Messiah. I pray too that we would feel the weight of hopelessness that is so prevalent in the world around us. And in the middle of that darkness, would you remind us that we 
have a message of hope. That you are the light of the world and we are called to reflect that light to a dark and dying world. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. You, you know, hope's a funny thing. Um, if, you, if you just think about that word, we use it to communicate all kinds of things. Right? So uh, as, we, as we near Christmas and, and as you've if you've not already done so, you'll be filling out your wish list, right? Or you'll be walking through the mall and see something that until that moment you didn't know that you needed in your life, but suddenly your life will be incomplete without it, right? Uh, so, so we hope to get certain things for Christmas. We hope that our favorite team wins the World Series or the Super Bowl or the World Cup or the Stanley Cup or whatever your sport is. We, we, we hope for that. We hope the scan the doctor took comes back clean. We hope the kids stay safe as they travel. We hope to see the kids and then we hope that they'll go on their merry way. You know, in fact, each of the, each of the four words that we're going to look at uh, throughout this, this Advent season, hope, peace, joy, and love, I, I think are all misunderstood and they're all misapplied in some way or another, right? We, we joke about love and the, the different ways that we throw that around. I love my wife. I love baseball. I love pizza. Uh, hopefully not in the same way, right? And yet if you think through hope, peace, joy, and love, don't we, don't we tend to be maybe careless with, with each of those words? So this morning, I would simply call us to a biblical idea of what hope looks like. According to a Bible dictionary that I read this week, it says uh, this, biblical hope is the confidence that what God has done for us in the past guarantees our participation in what God will do in the future. The confidence that what God has done for us in the past guarantees our participation in what God will do in the future. See, biblical hope is grounded in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ, that what he has done gives us hope that he will continue working in and through us, that he's not done with us yet. Now, now, again, as I mentioned, if you know anything about the book of Lamentations, uh, you'll know it's not a very happy book, right? I mean, like I said, the word lament is right there in the title. And for good reason. The book of Lamentations was written during a very painful time in Judah's history. It's, it's generally believed that Jeremiah is the author of the book. So in, in the order in the Bible, uh, Lamentations will come right after Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is writing out of the experience of the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., which is one of the darkest times in Jewish history. If you think about all that Jerusalem meant for the people of God, I mean, Jerusalem held the temple, which was where God was on earth. That was, that, that was the place Jews would travel to be in the presence of God. That was... It was holy headquarters, and, and for Jerusalem to be destroyed then 
what was a major paradigm shift in the life of a Jewish person. The book of Lamentations tells of the people's sin and of God's wrath and judgment because of that sin. That sounds hopeful, doesn't it? (laughs) Doesn't that sound like fun? But, But if you stop and think about it, doesn't hope, doesn't the idea of hope only exist because there's pain and suffering? In, in other words, the whole reason we know what it is to hope for something, to hope for something better, is because we've experienced the pain and the brokenness of the world around us. Right? So, so we know that, that cancer is, is a destructive force in our world, and so we hope that the PET scan comes back clear. We know that car accidents happen, so we hope that our family members arrive safe. And, and what is happening here in Lamentations is Jeremiah is recounting, he's remembering his own suffering, much of it, most of it, because the people of God have refused to listen to the prophet of God. And so if you'll follow along with me, I just want to read verses 1 through 18 here in chapter 3, leading up to uh, our focal passage for the morning. Starts off this, he says, I'm the man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven me away and forced me to walk in darkness instead of light. Yes, he repeatedly turns his hand against me all day long. He has worn away my flesh and skin. He has broken my bones. He has laid siege against me encircling me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like the heads who have been dead for ages. He has walled me in so I cannot get out. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I cry out and plead for help, he blocks out my prayer. He has walled in my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear waiting in ambush, a lion in hiding. He forced me off my way and tore me to pieces. He left me desolate. He strung his bow and set me as the target for his arrow. He pierced my kidneys with shafts from his quiver. I am a laughingstock to all my people, mocked by their songs all day long. He filled me with bitterness, satiated me with wormwood. He ground my teeth with gravel and made me cower in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. Then I thought, my future is lost as well as my hope from the Lord. Uh, now, now listen, you want, you want to talk hopeless. This is hopeless. Right? Jer- Jeremiah begins chapter 3. He says, I'm the man who has seen affliction. In other words, I know what it is to suffer. He said he suffered physically. Verse 4, he says, he, he's worn away my flesh and skin. He has broken my bones. And later on goes and says that he's been ridiculed by the people of God. I'm a laughing stock to all my people, mocked by their songs all day long. See, he's suffered. Primarily, he suffered because he has declared the word of the Lord to a people that want nothing to do with it. To a people who are content to live their own way, even though it's led to their destruction, 
They refused to repent, and yet the Lord never removed his hand from Jeremiah's life, never, never released him from his calling to proclaim the truth of God's word and to call God's people to repentance. Yes, he suffered to the point that in verse 18 he says, Then I thought my future is lost as well as my hope from the Lord. And then comes verse 19, where even though he, he feels like he has, there, there is no hope, he runs to the one place where he's found hope. The, the one place where he's found some sort of peace in the middle of suffering. And he cries out to the Lord in verse 19, remember my affliction and my homelessness. The wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and have become depressed. So he lists four things here. He lists affliction, homelessness, wormwood, which was a plant that, that has a bitter taste. And in the Bible, it's, also, it's often used as a, as a metaphor, as a picture for bitterness, for hardship, and for sorrow. And he even mentions poison. And he says, I've... I continually remember them and have become depressed. In other words, his suffering's way foremost in his mind. Now, I think during the, certainly here in the United States, during Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, during our holiday seasons, we, we have a lot of people who can identify with this depression that, that sets in. In fact, out of Australia, I read an article this week that uh, it was, According to the Anxiety Disorders Association of Victoria, Australia, people reported these reasons for experiencing depression during the, the Christmas season. They said excessive commercialization of the season, a focus on the gifts and, and the, the perfect social activities, right? The, the focus on the hallmark picture of Christmas where everything's perfect and nothing goes wrong. The pressure to spend a lot of money on gifts, which can lead to debt. That's one reason, the, this, the excessive commercialization. The same thing, by the way, that Charlie Brown wrestled with 50 years ago, right? That we still haven't, we still haven't figured out. For, for a lot of people, Christmas can trigger what, um, what they refer to as a victim mentality. Uh, whereas you look at at other people who have more money to buy more stuff and to do more stuff. And, and you begin to think, woe is me. If, if, I just, if I got that raise, then we would be able to spend this amount on gifts. And I would be able to buy my wife the Lexus just like the guy on TV does. <laughs> maybe you, don't point fingers, but maybe you recognize, maybe you um, Identify with this one. The expectation of social gatherings with family, friends, and acquaintances that they'd rather not spend time with. And finally, the loss of a loved one or a job. Maybe this is the first Christmas without a spouse, without a child, without a parent. And yet it's into these spaces that the message of the gospel comes, right? As I, as I said earlier, I don't think we can experience hope unless we know something of hopelessness 
or despair. Of course, if we focus too much on, on those things, focus too much on what we don't have, on who's not here, or too much on who is here, right, depending on your situation, we can cross over into depression. In fact, we're told that's exactly what happened to, to Jeremiah. And oftentimes people will describe depression as just this feeling of darkness that sucks out all joy and, and goodness. And it's almost like blinders have been put on that always make the glass half empty and leaking. See, another word that the Bible uses for depression is dejected, and, and the, the Psalms speak often of feeling depressed and rejected. They ask repeatedly, why, my soul, are you so dejected? In fact, in Psalm forty-four twenty-five, it says this, for we have sunk down to the dust, our bodies cling to the ground. Literally a feeling of being low. We know clearly from, from looking at the world around us and the depression's real and Jeremiah experienced it because of the attacks he was experiencing at the hands of those people who, who said they served the same God he did and yet who repeatedly rejected the word of the Lord. It wore on him and he became depressed. Maybe you can empathize with Jeremiah. Maybe you can identify with that. Maybe things in life have, have not turned out the way you planned, either because of your own sin in, in your life or, or because of the sins of others. And Maybe Christmas tends to be a, a harsh reminder of what hasn't happened. Maybe this Christmas you're struggling because of the loss of a loved one. That first Christmas without a spouse or without a child, without a parent, without a sibling. There would be an empty place at the table and maybe even more so an emptiness in, in your hearts this Christmas. As I mentioned, maybe, maybe you're depressed because of who will be there, right? You have that in-law or that cousin, that uncle and aunt coming in. And even though Christmas is a, almost a month away, you're, you're already dreading the discussions that will happen at the dinner table. So if this is you this morning, if there's, if there's a tendency to, for, for depression, if there's a, a, a tendency for just a letdown feeling, especially during this time of the year, don't despair because there is hope. Even in the middle of Jeremiah's depression, he recognized this and look at verse 21. He says, Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. It didn't seem like that's where that was going. I mean, everything in uh, the, the first 20 verses of this chapter were not going to this place. And here's that turn. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. What does he call to mind? It's this. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, you might recognize that phrase. 
We get a hymn from it, a beloved hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, that comes, believe it or not, not from the Psalms, but from the book of Lamentations. That in the middle of pain and suffering, Jeremiah, or Jeremiah cries out, Great is your faithfulness. In verse 24, I say, The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. There's the reason for hope. Now, what's interesting is that we're not given any indication that Jeremiah's situation has changed. We're not told that people suddenly listen to the message that he's proclaiming, that that, that, that people are suddenly convicted of their sins and are repenting and, and are like, Jeremiah, you're right. You've been telling us this all along. We've just, we, we've not had eyes to see. We're sorry for the way we've treated you. We're not given any indication that that happens here. Instead, Jeremiah's perspective on his suffering is changing. Now, now look, this is not just a change in thinking, right? So I think all too often, even in Christian sermons, we, we tend to focus way too much on, well, just change the way you think about things. Just, just change the way you approach that situation and everything else will change. That's, I, I, don't, I don't think that's biblical. What, what I do think is biblical is changing, changing our focus, sudden, certainly, we're not just changing what we're focusing on. We change who we focus on. And that's a big difference. Because I can look at a situation and think, well, I just need to change the way I think about that. And, and I'm just going to start thinking positively about it. And it's all still completely you-centered. Biblical hope comes when we stop focusing on ourselves and on what we feel and begin focusing on Almighty God. And even though your situation may not, and, and I would say oftentimes does not change, when you take your attention off of yourself and place it on the one who created the heavens and the earth and who's in control, things change. Even though they may stay the same, they'll be completely different. And this is what Jeremiah does here, right? Because of the Lord's faithful love, he stops looking at his situation and he gets his eyes on Almighty God. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, listen, focusing on the Lord's faithfulness to you will not make money magically appear in your bank account. That would be awesome if it happened that way. It's not how it works. Changing your focus doesn't magically cause the cancer to go away. But it puts everything in perspective. Well, one of the most powerful things I've ever read about prayer, um, it, it says that prayer changes things. But often the thing that prayer changes is you. See, what happens when I pray is whether or not God chooses to change the, the, the circumstance that I'm in. 
it changes who I'm focusing on. And it takes that focus off of myself, off of what I want, off of what I desire. And it puts the focus on Almighty God who's in control of all things. And when that happens, even on the worst of days, we can declare just like Jeremiah does, great is your faithfulness. See, in the middle of his suffering, Jeremiah remembers the Lord's faithfulness to himself and to the rest of Israel. And that leads him to declare his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, oftentimes it's through the pain and through the difficulties of life that we come to experience more and more of the faithfulness of God. Now, we can experience it in the good times. That's not to say that you have to be like in in the middle of the roughest day of your life in order to experience the goodness of God. I hope that's not the case. I hope that we pause to to thank him in the the good times as well, but I I think we tend to be more aware of it during really hard times because the struggles and pain and suffering tends to realign priorities where we really start asking ourselves what's important, what, what really matters. It has a refining effect because when we get rid of some of those distractions, we're able to experience the presence of God in a very real way. And when we do that, on, on, on those days when you have nothing else, have you discovered that his presence is enough? Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, British preacher, back in the 1800s, said this. He said, if, he, if every day brings its trouble, every day also brings its mercy. No one, can say that, no one can say that so truly as the person who has known what it is to prove God's faithfulness in the midst of great affliction. Oftentimes it's those who have experienced great suffering that have the greatest faith of anyone I've ever met. Because they know what it's like to have nothing else. And for, the, for Christ and his glory and his presence to be enough, to be enough hope in the middle of suffering. And at the end of this passage, he says this, I say the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him. This is an interesting theme throughout Scripture. The Lord is my portion. He's my inheritance. He's enough. For instance, I've, I've listed several passages here. These will be on the screen for you. Psalm 16, 5. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Psalm 119, 57. The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. Psalm 142.5, I cry to you, Lord. I say you are my shelter, my portion in the land of the living. Habakkuk chapter 3, Habakkuk's another um, interesting book where the prophet looks around and sees people 
continually disobeying with, with no regard for, for who God is or what he's done. And, and, and Habakkuk cries out, Lord, are you not going to do anything about this? And, and the Lord responds with a verse that's, that's often taken out of context because he says, Habakkuk, I'm going to do something in your day that you wouldn't believe even if I told you. And, and what we've done is ripped that verse out of context and put it on t-shirts and coffee mugs and given it to like uh, graduates, right? I'm going to do something in your day you wouldn't believe even if I told you. And it sounds all inspirational except what the Lord's going to do that no one would believe even if they were told is uh, God's going to send a, an army to destroy his people. So, so I would not recommend putting that on a coffee cup, right? <laughs> To the point that Habakkuk turns around and says, no, you wouldn't. Because, I mean, we're, you know, okay, so, so we're bad. Like, you know, we sin occasionally. But, but God, those folks are, like, really bad. And you're going to send them to destroy us? You wouldn't do such a thing. And, and God essentially says, watch me. The rest of the book is God's people being destroyed because of their sin. Because maybe like us, they, they, they tended not to believe what God said, right? If you're a parent, you've understood this, right? If you do that again, I'm sending you to your room. If you do that again, I'm sending you to your room. If you do that again, this is the last time I'm sending you to your room. You finally send them, why? Why would you be so unmerciful to one as innocent as I, right? Finally get what God told them was, was coming. It's a depressing book until the end. And this is what, this is the message of Habakkuk at the end. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Folks, hear me out. This is the message of of Christmas. This is the hope of Christmas. That even if nothing else in your life goes right from now until the day you die, you have been blessed beyond imagine. And you have enough in the Lord. Isaiah 9-2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. We'll hear more out of Isaiah 9 as we go on, because a few verses later, we get to a, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will be upon his shoulders, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of his reign and the increase of, of his government, there will be no end. Listen, it's to a people who are walking in darkness that that great promise was given. Christ came into a world of darkness to bring light. He came into a world of despair to bring hope. This is how John declares it. In him in Jesus was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not, the darkness did not overcome it. Darkness is meant to, simu to, 
to express the opposite of God's presence, a place of hopelessness. And so what, what he's communicating there is that the light shines in the darkness. Hope has come to hopelessness. And hopelessness did not overcome it. So as we begin this celebration of Christmas at first, know this. There is hope. There is real hope to be found in Christ Jesus. You see, his his birth in the manger in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago declares loud and clear that God has not forgotten about you. And his death on the cross in your place and his resurrection three days later is the ultimate declaration that no matter what you face in life, the pain and the struggles of this life that are universal to the human experience are not the final word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to gather and to Celebrate the hope that is in Christ Jesus. I, I pray that this message of hope hits many this morning in the midst of despair, in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of wondering how we're going to get through this month. So I pray we would turn our eyes to Bethlehem, to a baby in a manger. But we wouldn't get stuck there. We would look past the manger to a cross where the Savior of the world died in our place. And then to an empty tomb three days later declaring the end of sin and death. providing hope in the middle of hopelessness. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you this week.